You are listening to the Liminal Living Podcast. Welcome back to the Liminal Living Podcast. I'm your curator of conversation, Tom Rundell. Today we're going to wrap up our series on Shalom. Uh, This is Shalom number four. And we've been on a journey and it has been good. I've heard a ton of good feedback from a whole bunch of people about how this series on Shalom and how the Hebrew concept of Shalom ties into the New Testament concept of salvation, uh, how that that understanding has blessed them. So it's been good. Now, if you remember that Shalom is the Hebrew concept of the universal uh, flourishing of all God's creation. It's, it means well-being. It means wholeness. It means maturity. It means salvation. Uh, this Hebrew word is just packed with meaning. Unfortunately, we don't see all of that meaning when we read the English word peace. Uh, That's what shalom is usually translated into in the English is is peace. So we're missing out on the uh, just the immense meaning of this word. So this whole series has been kind of unpacking pieces of uh, the meaning of shalom. Now to understand Uh, How Shalom fits into the New Testament, we looked into the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew um, Old Testament from Hebrew into the Greek, and looked at when they translated Shalom, what Greek words did they use, because the New Testament is written in Greek, so then it gives us clues as to uh, where the roots of New Testament word salvation finds its fulfillment in uh, this Old Testament concept of Shalom. And so there are many words, but we focused on three. Uh, Soteria, telos, and arene. The first week we looked at soteria, which is a peace with God. Uh, Salvation is the word soteria in the Greek when it's translated into English. It means salvation. And we looked at how salvation is accepting this identity from God, the one that he intended us to have from the beginning, uh, his, his child. And then last week we looked at the word telos, which is a peace with self, a shalom with self. Uh, So when God gives us this new identity, uh, then we cultivate that identity in order to bless the world. We're at peace with it, and we're not trying to throw all the different hats on of uh, having different identities of what other people expect of us. Uh, But we are digging into that one identity that God has given us and trying to bless the whole world with it. I love uh, this quote from Thomas Merton that when he found out that we made it to the moon, uh, he said, what can we gain by sailing to the moon if we're not able to cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves? This is the most important of all voyages of discovery, and without it, all the rest are not only useless, but disastrous. And in in our age of technological enlightenment and advancement and, and all this, uh, we are missing this peace with others, peace with God's creation. And today we're going to look into uh, the term irene, which is a huge Greek word. It means more than peace with neighbor. Uh, but Jesus told us in the, um, in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to be shalom makers, peacemakers. The Greek word there was irene makers. We're to be peacemakers uh, with his whole creation. And so, in order to arrive at this arene, peace with God's uh, creation and peace with our neighbor, we have to have those first two pieces in place. 
We need to have Soteria down. We need to have Talos uh, at least progressing before we're going to see peace with our neighbors. Because uh, if you remember our Thomas Merton quote, we are not at peace with others because we're not at peace with ourselves, and we're not at peace with ourselves uh, because we're not at peace with God. That applies here. This is God's, uh, his greatest commandment is to love him. Uh, and the second one, the second greatest commandment has just as much weight, and that is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So the question I have is, what does it look like to have shalom with God's creation, with the earth? Um, in this now and not yet kingdom of God that Jesus initiated with his resurrection, I don't think we're going to see a perfect shalom established in God's creation because creation itself is broken. Uh, but all creation is still longing for this day, the day of resurrection, when uh, the children of God will be revealed. Now, I like Timothy Keller's uh, quote when he talks of shalom. He calls it a harmonious interdependence of all parts of God's creation. But if you really look at humankind's actions within God's creation and with one another, uh, I think we look more like parasites than symbiotic relationships because we're, it seems that we're sucking every last resource for our own good, whether it's from another human or from a, a part of the God's creation. And we're not giving much thought of the effects that uh, this has on the rest of the world. And this comes through um, our treatment of God's creation and other people, uh, treating them like a commodity, a item to be used, sold, uh, bought, and it's all for our own benefit. I was driving through the city the other day, and my eyes were drawn to this perfect landscaping of this cookie-cutter franchise. And this thought occurred to me that nobody cares about that plant. Nobody cares for the grass. Nobody cares for the bushes. Uh, in, in many ways, they don't care that it's really there. They overlook it. But then they don't care for it. Uh, it was planted in mass. You know, it was a whole bunch of people just arrived, threw it in the ground. Um, it's watered automatically with a sprinkler system. Nobody thinks about it. Nobody cares for it. It's just a commodity to bring customers into an attractive building. And all the landscapes of the same franchise look exactly the same way. Now, does this plant know that it's overlooked? Of course it doesn't know that. That's not really the point. The point is that we have lost our connection to God's creation by treating it as a commodity. And when billions and billions of people uh, do this on the earth worldwide, the state of the earth now is just in dire shape. Because we're losing our connection. Uh, we're treating the earth like it's a commodity, commodity to be exploited for money. Uh, and it breaks shalom. You know, the melting of the ice in the north, the addictive consumption of fossil fuels, the dumping of waste. Uh, you know, I'm not a creation care theologian or expert. But I can see the state of the earth is a reflection of the state of human souls. It seems that creation is groaning louder than ever for the children of God to step up and declare their place in the family of God and lead the charge in care for the earth. 
But then those in poorer countries also feel the effects of this. Those who live in poverty, they're affected by um, the state of the earth. Uh, you know, I looked at my pants the other day, and they were made in Cambodia. And I thought, were my pants made in a sweatshop? You know, did a slave boy harvest your shrimp? Was a small girl sorting your coffee beans for a mere $3 a day? Did the excess dyes of your red shirt get dumped in a fresh water source for a village somewhere? You know, did the toys that your children owns, uh, did they get assembled by slaves somewhere? Did the precious metals you wear get dug out of the earth by miners risking their lives for merely a day's wage? Much of the whole systems that drive our life, the economic systems and those kinds of systems, we're all caught in this. It's all rigged. The whole system is rigged against both the people who supply us with these things, the poorest of the poor, and the people who wish to buy the products in a sustainable, fair way uh, because they have to pay so much extra and it seems like we can't afford to buy the fair trade coffee or the the chocolate beans that were not picked by slaves. This is broken shalom with creation, which leads to broken shalom with the people found within it. And it's a reflection of our own soul. And the the late uh, left-behind rapture theology is not helping things. It's damaging Christians' understanding of how we are to be the keepers of the earth. Uh, we're expecting things to get worse. You know, in that in that theological mindset, things are supposed to get worse, and then there comes the great tribulation, and then things get even worse from there. So we're expecting things to get worse. But it's okay, because creation's just going to be burnt up in some Armageddon judgment, and then we're all going to go off to some heaven and live happily ever after. But that's a total false understanding of the book of Revelation and its point. At the end of Revelation, heaven descends to earth, and the tree of life is used for the healing of the world. We get to keep this place. I think a proper theology of understanding how these systems were caught in affects the poor is found in a passage from Mark. This is out of Mark 5, the story of the woman who has a bleeding problem. Now, this would be a menstrual bleeding problem that is just kept going for years and years without stopping. Uh, so, according to the religious law, she is unclean. She is outcasted. She cannot worship in the temple. Uh, she is also forced into poverty because the medical systems of her day um, were not able to heal her and she spent all of her money on it. So here's two systems put in place, lacking shalom, the religious system and the medical system. And that's a part of their whole social system. And she has been forced into poverty. She's forced into uh, an outcast state, unclean, can't be around people. She's forgotten. She's left behind. But she's holding on to some hope. How do we know this? It's through a little Hebrew word. Uh, it's called kanaf. The Hebrew word for corner is kanaf. It's also translated into the word wings. You see, a Jewish man of authority had this thing called a prayer shawl that covered his head and draped down to his knees. And on the corners of this robe were tassels of symbolic meaning. They had these knots that were tied into them to remind them of the Torah. This was a prayer shawl. And when a Jewish man was going to pray, he would cover his head with the prayer shawl and enter into his prayer closet and pray there in secret. Uh, when he was going to speak a blessing, he would stand and he would lift the corners of his prayer shawl up and it looked like he had wings. 
And so the corners and the kanaf meant wings. What does this have to do with the bleeding woman? Well, this woman approaches Jesus and touches the corner of his robe or his shawl, his prayer shawl. She goes and grabs hold of that uh, prayer shawl. Why did she touch that part? Why not his sandal or his robe, uh, the back of the collar or uh, something else? Why did she go for that one part? Well, in Malachi, there is a prophecy that when the Messiah comes, the Son of Righteousness, when he rises, he will have healing in his kanaf, in his wings. And so this woman is remembering the promise of Malachi that when the Messiah comes in his uh, kanaf, the corner of his shawl, there will be healing. And she pushes her way through a crowd, making the entire crowd unclean. And she sneakily touches Jesus' robe, the corner of it. And she is healed. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, in the Hebrew tongue, it would have sounded, your faith has brought you shalom. Go in shalom. So, we cannot free every slave. We cannot adjust our entire grocery bill to buy mindfully. We cannot fix the broken economic system that keep people far from wholeness. We cannot fix all these things around us, but we can start with one thing. Heal one person. And then they can know that the Messiah has risen with healing in his wings. We need to cultivate shalom uh, with ourselves, with the planet, with others. One thing we've been doing is learning the calls of the birds, the names of the flowers, the life cycle of the butterfly. Uh, We've been becoming a student of creation to learn its rhythms. We took our sons and our niece out for a hike one day. We sat by a lake and the kids got all excited as kids do. And they were being rather loud and rambunctious. And they wondered, where are all the animals at? Like it was some kind of zoo out there where the animals would parade themselves in front of us. And I told them, listen, do you hear that? And then they said after a few seconds of quiet, no. I said, exactly. That's what they are used to hearing. And we have invaded their home. See, God's creation has this rhythm to it, seasons within it. And we have become this 24-7 culture, pressing the boundaries of our energy levels. We get less sleep, we work more hours than any other generation. And the only way to stay ahead in the rat race is to become this rat. But the winner is still a rat. God is not keeping score with the same scorecard that our society does. He doesn't care about our bragging of busyness and exhaustion. God is saying, learn the natural rhythms reconstruct your entire life around this rhythm you're going to have to sacrifice some things poet Mary Oliver spent most of her life wandering the woods writing poetry sounds great but she had to live in poverty to do it but now we're blessed because of her pursuit of vocation and sacrifice with this beautiful poetry what poem are you going to write today